This is episode 50 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Don Lefevre. Don began working on the backstretch of Atlantic City Racecourse at the age of 16. After graduating from Cook College of Rutgers University with a BS in animal science, she spent the next 13 years training and racing horses in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. She is the author of Backstretch Girls, and currently works as a contributor for the Pass the Wire website, as well as writing the Tales from the Wine Trails blog. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice, and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Dawn LaFierre on the show with me today. Hi Dawn, welcome. Hi Carly, hi everybody. Yay. So I'm so excited to talk with Dawn about her books, but as you all know, how I really love to start out these interviews is to ask our authors how their love affair with horses began. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into horses, Dawn? Sure. It was all my mother's fault. (laughs) She was a big horse lover. Always grew up watching all the big horse races on TV. She was a huge Secretariat fan. So I just always grew up watching the horse races on the New York Racing Association show that came on every Saturday for as long as I can remember. We watched that. We watched Wide World of Sports. When I got a little older, I did work at a couple local stables. We didn't have a whole lot of money, so I didn't have show horses of my own, but I would muck stalls and exchange. They would let me have a riding lesson, so... That's awesome. And and that's sort of uh, how a lot of us begin, you know, not being able to afford the horses and in either saving money up so we can or working at other people's stables. So, so, you know, if it's there, you do whatever it takes to be around the horses. And you have a really cool uh, career path. So you've been involved with horse racing and racehorse training for much of your life. Can you tell us about how you got into like training horses. And then of course, on the back end of that, I have to know what it's like to ride a galloping racehorse at full speed. <laughs> well, the training part was I lived near Atlantic City Racecourse. Um, so from the age of 16, I got my first job there, hot walking horses, just walking them around, cooling them out. It was perfect summer job. And then I went, when I went on to college, again, I'd come back every summer, work at Atlantic City Racecourse. When I graduated college, I'm like, you know what? I was taking some time, thinking about going to vet school. And I was during that period of time, I started working for Walter Media Racing Stable. And that very year, we got a horse who turned out to be a champion two-year-old filly. She was a once-in-a-lifetime horse. Her name was Plain All Over. And I just stayed with that for 13 wonderful years because of her. And Walter was a wonderful man to work for. And I just loved every moment of it. Oh, that's um, so exciting. As far as galloping... I was a bigger girl back then, so I didn't gallop a whole lot of horses. It would usually be like the older ones. Um, I wasn't a super skilled enough rider to ride some of the more crazy ones, but 
galloping a racehorse is kind of like a roller coaster. You're going super fast and you're totally exhilarated. You're just hoping to God you don't fall off. So <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And you know, and I, I always I often think about like how amazing it would be to like full blast gallop across like a field or something. But there's always that worry of, you know, stumbling into a hole or something like that on a racetrack, you know, all you have to do is stay in that saddle. Right. And you don't have to worry about potholes or anything crazy or a log. That's gotta be amazing. And then training horses. So you were actually involved in the training of the racehorses. Did you, did they at the company you work for, did they show you the ropes or did you work as an assistant as a trainer? Like how, how did the training part of, of that world go for you? Oh, okay. So after college, I be, became Wally Medio's assistant. He was kind of my mentor for many years. And 1992, I finally took my trainer's test. Um, there is a test you have to take. It's two parts. One is a stable test where it's like put on a bandage, a simple tack, that kind of thing. The second part is very hard. It's like the SATs for racing. You have to know the rules and regulations from everything from figuring out how much weight a jockey would carry to basic horse care to claiming, the claiming rules and regulations, medication rules and regulations. So you get to go up into the steward's office, no pressure, and I uh, take this writ back then. It was a written test, and I passed it first try. So I had my trainer's license. One of Wally's old cast horses, cast off horses, I got the train. Her name was Katie C, and she was my very first winner as a trainer. Wow, that is so cool. And what, what I mean, did they, do they give you like a textbook? Like, how did you study all that back then? Do they have like a manual or a binder or something? Or did you have to like piecemeal all this together? That's so fascinating. I've never heard that like backstory before. And so for the rules and regulations, you actually have to write to the New Jersey Racing Commission. And again, this is back in the 80s. So I'm sure you can do this online now, but they sent me this huge <laughs> folder that was super <laughs> thick. And yeah, and I was like a nervous wreck about it. I was never the greatest written test taker. Mm -hmm. So Wally kind of surprised me because I've been studying it all along, but he knew I was a nervous wreck. So one day he's like, we're going to the steward's office. I'm like, what? He's like, you're taking your test today. I'm like, no. <laughs> I just, because I didn't think about it, I think that's why I did well the first try. First well, that, try. That's great. What a service he did for you. He, he <laughs> knew you well and, and put you in a situation where you weren't like in your head about it. That's, that's pretty exciting and great. And congratulations. That and, and what I love about this story is this actually leads us into the conversation about your author life. You, you are an author, you know, and I'd, I'd love to know what led you to the author life and why do you write? And of course, your, your background with horse racing and the racetrack and this education that you got when you, when you got your certificate is like the background for, for your books. Can you tell me what led you to decide to lead an author life too? Sure. So um, I was always one of those shy kids who just kind of stayed home and wrote stories, that kind of thing. So I always, from as long as I can remember, I would write little stories and things. And when I went to school, I always did well in English classes, creative writing classes. I took a bunch of creative writing classes in college. Also in college, also in addition to a love of horses, I have a love of heavy metal. <laughs> it was the 80s. So every week I did heavy metal album reviews and that from that grew into um, submitting short stories to magazines. One of the first magazines that ever published me was Equus Magazine. I wrote a, um, that was a nonfiction story I wrote about one of my racehorses. And that was like the first time I got published by a big magazine. 
Wow, that is so cool. That must have given you a lot of confidence to, you know, continue on with your writing career. How, I mean, that is like a premier course publication. That is so exciting. And I love that you mentioned your love of music and heavy metal. That is, I'm also a music lover. <laughs> I think we could probably go down a rabbit hole and talk about that forever, but I have to know, what was your like favorite heavy metal band of the time? Oh, during the 80s, I was, there were several. I think my three favorites were Dokken, Queensryche, and this band called Warlock, because they had a female singer named Doro, who went on to a solo career. So those are like my top three. Of course, I like Metallica. There's, I could go on and name like 20 bands. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to come hang out with you, because I think we, have, we probably have some musical uh, tastes in common, and we could have a really rocking time. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I'd love to hear about your book, Backstretch Girls, which, you know, is, is got a beautiful cover, which we're going to talk about, but, but tell us a little bit about what Backstretch Girls is about. So it's basically the story of the workers of the Backstretch. It focuses on a pony girl named Tegan. Her backstory is kind of unique. She came from a family who competed in the Olympics. Her mother was a silver medalist in dressage. Her brother was who's younger, is currently on that route to go to the Olympics. Her father trains Olympian horses. But Tegan, she's a big, broad girl who kind of rough around the edges like me. She doesn't like what she calls, quote, prissy show stuff. So she never did well in show classes. So her family viewed her as a failure. And she's just like, you know what, I'm out. Mm-hmm. So she went to the racetrack and she became this pony girl. And along the way, she meets this other girl named Anne. Anne's story is similar to mine. She didn't have a lot of money. She lived in a trailer park. So she would sell her indentured servitude to a uh, nearby stable just so she could ride horses. She's a small girl who dreams of being a jockey. Her goal is she wants to be the first woman jockey ever to win the Kentucky Derby. So it's about them meeting, their friendship they form, and along the way, the wonderful horses they encounter. The one main horse in the story is named Haunting Melody. He's actually named after a filly I owned and trained who had the same name, Haunting Melody. Aww. So it was in honor of her. In fact, all the horses in my books are named after actual horses I trained or owned. Um, there's another horse in the book called Lucky All Over, named after Plain All Over, that champion filly I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And this other wonderful, sweet filly I had called Lucky Lipco. So I took their two names and combined them. I love that. See, you know, even when we write fiction, there's still threads of experiences that we've had in our own life flowing through our books that give our give us inspiration. And I, I love that this is a book about powerful, strong, little rebellious ladies. That's I always love a powerful leading, you know, leading female. So in, in, in this one, we've got two of them. <laughs> As I was galloping around your uh, website, I did notice something and I, I wanted to ask you about this too and ask if it in any way impacted your writing of Backstretch Girls or kind of got infused into the story. I was wondering, you know, what what do you think led to the closure of Garden State Park and Atlantic City Racecourses, which are two of the tracks where you used to race? So what I think led to the closure of both Garden State Park and Atlantic City was the casino lobby. The casinos did everything in the power in their power to make sure neither track ever got slot machines. And I think if they would have gotten slot machines, they would have generated enough um, money when they weren't racing live to uh, kept going. And I know that slots play a large role in saving some tracks. I still remember when Delaware Park was struggling back in the early 80s. 
and they got slots in and now they're still surviving and thriving. By doing this, by keeping the slot machines out of Garden State Park and Atlantic City Racecourse, the casinos actually shot themselves in the foot because Philadelphia Park, which is now Parks Casino and racing, did get slots and so did Delaware. So now all those people who could have come to New Jersey and spent their money in New Jersey are now staying in Delaware and Pennsylvania instead of coming here. Mm. Um, Garden State Park's other part of that, as far as closing goes, is as you probably know, they had that fire in the 70s, burnt down, they rebuilt the grandstand. When they rebuilt the grandstand, they spent a ton of money to do it, probably too much. <laughs> so they were dug themselves kind of a deep hole to get out of. So, so that must have made you really sad. I mean, those those tracks held your history, and and does that mean there there's no no more racing at all in New Jersey? That you have to go to states connecting to it to to get to the horse the horse racing aspects. Well, luckily, Mammoth Park is still alive and well and doing very well. Little Northern, I did race there. Um, I stabled there one year. It's a ninety minute ride from where I live each way. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> didn't go there. I'd only stabled there one year, but we would ship up there to race. And it is a beautiful track. They have the million dollar Haskell Invitational that got American Pharaoh and a bunch of derby horses. So that's alive and thriving. And Meadowlands way up in North Jersey still still racing thoroughbreds, but their specialty is more of the trotters. Hmm. Wow. There, so there's a pretty rich history. I mean, it's uh, of horse racing in New Jersey and the different things that happen behind the scenes. That could be a whole like nonfiction book that you could take on if that tickles your fancy. <laughs> so so going back to Backstretch Girls, I'm I'm wondering, would you hold up the book because it's got such a beautiful cover? But what, in your opinion, makes Backstretch Girls different from other horse racing novels that are available? One of the things I notice when you read horse racing novels is they tend to focus on the owners, big rich people with the fancy hats. This book actually focuses on the people who actually work with the horses hands-on. They're the ones mucking the stalls, getting dirty. The other thing about my book is I don't shy away from the more controversial or dark side of the track. So one of the things I think that make Backstretch Girls different than other horse racing novels is it's very authentic. I live there, I work there, and so you get the insider scoop on it. But also because it focuses on the backstretch workers and not the rich owners. That said, I also don't shy away from portraying the darker side of the track, you know, the claiming races, the greedy people who put money ahead of the horse's welfare, mm. that kind of thing. It sounds fascinating just speaking with you and hearing how deep your knowledge runs about the track and then this shady backstretch side. It sounds really intriguing. And then do you ever, because you are in the industry and you have written this book, although it be fiction, about some of the controversial aspects of horse racing do you ever get anybody like pushing back at you or saying anything or has it been has it been well embraced by your community actually I had very good feedback on it more than a few people have said oh I work on the track and you're thank god you're the first person who got it right <laughs> I was really really flattered that blew my mind <laughs> um but yes everyone who uh I haven't heard anything negative about it so mm -hmm. I'm glad for that that's great. I, well, you know, and I think when you when you have that deep, deep, deep knowledge, it like really rings true and through in, in your work. And obviously you have that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your cover too. Your cover is absolutely beautiful. Can you hold up the, the book for us and tell us how you came up with the idea for your cover? So of course, it's a horse racing book. I needed to have horses racing. 
the other thing was I didn't just want pictures of a horse race. I wanted to show the interpersonal relationship between the people who work on the backstretch and their love for the horses. And I was just looking through all these different photos. It took me a long time to come up with the cover. And I ran across this photo, this red haired woman and this gray horse. Well, the main horse in my book is gray. That's the haunting melody character. And Tegan is a big, strong, red-haired woman. I'm like, oh my God, this is the perfect picture. I have to have it. <laughs> so I contacted my company, Book Baby, and they made like a little collage here with the cover with the red-haired woman and the horse racing action scene. It's absolutely gorgeous. And I think completely represents your work so well. It's a beautiful cover. And then you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned Book Baby. Can you tell us a little bit about Book Baby and, and why, why you chose to work with Book Baby for your books? For one thing, they're local. They're in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So when it was all said and done, I got to one of the happiest days of my life was driving to Pennsylvania and picking up my books. <laughs> they were very nice. This is my very first book. So I needed more handholding mm -hmm. than if I would have just went on Kindle, um, Amazon and tried to figure out how to do it myself. Mm -hmm. So they do all that work for you. And they also help you with the distributing. They designed the cover for me. I mean, it was my feedback. I picked the pictures, but they're the ones who actually did the designing. So it's a company that helps you package in like format and create the cover and then distribute to the different channels your book. But you, but it, but technically, is it still your independent publishing? Is that right? Well, they do charge a fee to okay. do all this, obviously. So mm -hmm. You pay for your copies and so forth, as well mm -hmm. as their work. Mm -hmm. But I'm still an independent publisher. I retain all my copyrights. I mean, an independent author, not publisher. That's that's fantastic. I mean, so, so you had the help that you needed, which a lot of authors, you know, with their first books that want to go the independent route, this sounds like a great um, solution. And, and what I'll do for listeners of the show is I'll, I'll add a link to Book Baby in, in the show notes and, and give a little summary of what they do, because this sounds like a great way to do a first book and still retain your rights without having to do the queries and the agents and all the different things that go into traditional publishing. And it sounds like you had a great experience and your product looks, looks beautiful. Yes, they did a wonderful job. I'm very happy with them. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's the first time I, I, I had heard of that. And I know there are services that, that handhold through it, but it's always nice to hear about an author having a good experience with one and, and, and learning what, what that one was. Speaking of getting your first book out into the world, what do you wish you had known when you had started out on, on your adventures as an author of horse books? wish I knew marketing strategies a little better when I first started out. I wish I would have done the independent route sooner. I kept trying for a traditional publisher. I had very good feedback. I had multiple manuscript requests with it, but the very last one that was very interested in it said to me, you know, I don't think there's a big enough market for your book right now. You should really look into independent publishing. Mm -hmm. um, the sad part is because I waited so long, my mother, who this book is dedicated to, never lived to see my book. Oh, Don, so. I am so sorry to hear that. Uh, uh, that that hurts my heart. And but I'm sure she's looking down on you, and she is so so very proud of of what you have accomplished. And I'm sure you put a de dedication in the front of the book in memory of of her honor. So I, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Uh, and you know, I find that really interesting that you had so much interest from from traditional publishers and and from the authors I've interviewed that have queried that route a lot of them had said that the publishers said there isn't that big of a market for horses or horse books so you are not the first person to hear that which which I say 
wow, because there are so many of us writing really great horse books. So I commend you for even, even though your mom didn't get an opportunity to see it, I commend you for moving forward anyway and taking the reins and going the independent route and retaining your rights and figuring your way to get this book into the world because obviously people love it because you have tons of really amazing reviews on your book. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do to ask for reviews or do you have any strategies or is there anything that you do? I did a lot of social media on Twitter. The writing community there is just wonderful and opening. Mm -hmm. They just embrace you. They help you gain followers. They give you tips. So I, and I started to get pretty good marketing that way. In addition, I found couple of Facebook groups. One is Horse Book Addicts and the other is Horse Books for Grownups. And they are just wonderful. They really took my book and just embraced it and supported it. And they've been wonderful. I'm going to be doing a conference. That'll be my first one as an independent author. So use that as a marketing tool. But as far as reviews go, if you read my book at the very end, I just put a little blurb saying, if you really like this book, please leave me a review. I didn't play the um, pay for review game or anything like that. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend anyone pay pay for reviews. You can get into trouble with that, and 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 that's smart. That's very smart marketing. Adding a you know, if you enjoyed this book, asking for a review at the end in the back matter. That's it's a very strong thing. And obviously, you don't have to do a whole lot besides that because your readers are loving your book and leaving you reviews. And and I love that you mentioned those two Facebook groups. I'm also a member of the those Facebook groups, Horse Books for Grownups and Horse Book Addicts. It's great spaces for people who are interested in horse books, which I'll link to in the show notes here. And very, very supportive community. Yeah. So that's great. And it sounds like, you know, at the beginning you were a little bit like, I don't know how to market this, but it sounds like you're doing a great job. I mean, you I, I when I was doing research for pulling your questions together, you were in a lot of places, which is, which is very good. Lucky that way. Actually, my husband, I joke then call him my manager now because he's like on the internet and he's the one who actually found you <laughs> for me. And I was like, Oh wow, this is awesome. Um, yeah. I'm lucky to have him. He designs my website too. Oh, that's great. We all need somebody like that in our, in our corner. <laughs> he's like your PR manager and your techie, your tech builder. It's that's, that's yep. great. Yeah, I, we don't do this alone. We need a lot of help from a lot of different people in order to get our author careers off the ground. <laughs> so I'm happy to hear you've got a supportive husband in your corner. I'd like to know, you know, do you have a writing routine or or how do you get the get your words on the page? Because a lot of authors like kind of struggle with like just getting started. Is there anything that you can recommend or do you have a routine that you use that helps you get your writing done? I set aside one day a week, Fridays, they're my sacred writing day. And then the rest of my during the weekends, whenever I can fit it in, I do. I, I'm a morning writing person. The mornings I sit down on my sofa and I just get my notebook. I'm old school. And I scribble incoherently for a couple hours. When I have enough to make a chapter, I then go up to my computer and I type it up. And that's when the real magic happens. <laughs> that's when I clean it up and I edit it. But definitely I write every single Friday. And then usually Monday after Mondays before I go to work, I work at an overnight veterinary hospital. Hmm. So it's a little hard to find time to write because of my working overnight shifts and long hours and that kind of thing. Yeah, so an unusual schedule, it's hard to regulate your routine when you have that. But I love that you set aside a Friday for writing. That's really special. And, and then you, you have that whole day free and clear for you to, to get your writing done. Oh, it's morning for scribbling and then hmm. afternoon for the typing. I love it. Um, See, writing routines work. <laughs> 
So given that you have your writing schedule and your writing routine, I'm curious, are you working on a new book or the next in the series? Is this going to be a series or what are you, what are you thinking? Backstretch Girls could have a sequel. Uh, that's not my next book though. <laughs> I could see one and totally do a sequel to it. Um, my next book, which I'm working on now, is another equestrian fiction book. Um, this one is in honor of my mom. It's about a woman trainer whose mother passed away and she's trying to deal with that at the same time she's dealing with some crazy horses. <laughs> she's like, she's uh, taking on the uh, difficult horses and trying to train them that nobody else wants to deal with. Oh, wonderful. So, so there's another equestrian fiction book in the works. I love that. That's, that's so exciting. I can't wait to hear more and uh, talk to you again when, you're, when your next book is out. So for you, what has been beyond the marketing, I think what you already mentioned, like part the hardest part of, of being an author? Well, for me, the hardest part of my writing process is I'm very bad about self-editing. I want, when I'm scribbling, I'm like, why doesn't it sound all flowery and perfect? <laughs> and for years, that would always hold me back. I'd get frustrated because it didn't sound good the first time I wrote it. And eventually I'm like, I just learned to grit my teeth and just keep writing and make it as ugly and awful as it is. And by the time I sit down on my computer and do the cleanup, it comes out better. <laughs> that's what I, that's my tip for anyone who writes is just to grind your way through, no matter how awful it sounds, you can always clean it up. <laughs> that's great. That's great. That's like, and the Montaway says, or crappy first drafts, you know, so just get, get the first thing done and then you can go back and edit. And you know, that's really smart. And I think a lot of authors, get hung up there. I know I have, you know, wanting to go back and fix things as you're writing. But if you go backwards, you're not getting forward. So that's really wonderful advice that you shared for, for fellow authors here. <clears throat> On the flip side of that, what for you has been the best part about being an author? A, the first time I saw my book in print, I almost mm -hmm. cried when I picked it up at Book Baby. And whenever someone comes up and says, I really, I read your book and I really liked it. Or when they leave me a great review, it just really, it's just so exciting. It, it, I mean, that is the most special, special part. The moment where you first sold your book and say, oh my gosh, I created something that never existed before and I wrote a story. And then when someone has read that, comes up to you and says, I love this. I mean, that is just such a special moment. I'm glad you're having those. Those are really important. I was wondering, <clears throat> being an author, has it opened any new opportunities for you or or has, any, has anything cool bloomed for you since becoming an author that you wouldn't have expected or, or saw happening. Wondering about the conference that you're going to, or like if it's a horse related conference or if it's uh... Oh, it's the independent authors expo. Oh. So it's basically you, you go there, re do a reading and you sit at a table and market your book. And well, I you... think they have like little classes and stuff you can uh, sit in on. Oh, that's so it's, I'm using it more as a learning experience. Very cool. Were you invited or, or is that something you found and you decided you wanted to go check it out? Yeah, you sign up for it. It's, it's kind of like a writer's conference. You do pay to attend. Mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, there's so much knowledge to learn from at writer's conferences. I just, I, I always get a lot of value out of going to those. Do you have any additional advice to aspiring authors? You've already shared with us, you know, don't edit as you write, but I, you know, do you, is there anything else through your journeys that you'd like to share with fellow authors? I would say... Don't let social media get you down. You know, some people do have nothing better to do than bully you. I see a lot of people like say, I'm leaving Twitter. I'm never going to write again because people forget them. Just keep writing. It seems to me that the 
people who have nasty things to say have louder voices than the ones that have positive things to say. So you just have to kind of tune them out. I love that advice. And, and I would imagine that would also apply to anybody who uh, leaves a, a negative review, you know, just don't look at that, keep going forward, keep doing. I love, I, you mentioned earlier that you, that you have, you've been published in Equus, which is a, an amazing horse magazine. And you, you were also uh, re- did reviews for heavy metal publications, but you also work for a contributor at passthewire.com. And you, and again, you've been published in Equus, Weird New Jersey, the, the Pacific Coast Journal, and the Press of Atlantic City. How did you, you go from horse training and working with horses to journalism and freelance writing. That's a, that's a kind of a cool complementary, but also very different world. Can you talk about that a little? Well, again, in college, it was kind of like my minor was creative writing. So it's when I was doing the heavy metal reviews. And when I got out of college, I did get fully immersed into horse racing and doing the training. But in my spare time, I would still scribble stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, this sounds pretty good. And send it off and hope for the best. So I got a short story published in Pacific Coast Journal. Then the um, Equus was actually first with their nonfiction story that they published for me. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things I like to brag at the time was like I applied for a job right after college to review music at Rolling Stone magazine. And they sent me the nicest rejection letter. <laughs> I'm like, I got rejected by Rolling Stone. <laughs> but at least it was a nice one and it was personalized. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rolling Stone magazine myself. I, I didn't know if you, you know this about me, but my I first started my career as a artist development representative for Universal Music Group and Sony Music. So I was in the music business and this was like the late 90s early 2000s and um that i saw the whole evolution of the music industry change from you know physical product to digital product and the whole dismantling of of the industry around that so it it, music is fascinating to me so i feel like we could have a huge (laughs) offline conversation about our our dabbling in the the music biz (laughs) and you know i this this is so i love this conversation so much and i'm wondering you know what's next for you i mean you're writing another book and what are you curious about it and it really could be anything like where, where are you going what do you think right now i'm just going to focus on my next book but now that you're talking music i do have an old heavy metal novel that i wrote it was the first novel i ever wrote so i have that on the back burner i'm going to rewrite that now that i'm older and wiser um, oh my gosh, that's exciting! Like I, I, that that is so great to revisit an older novel, but in a vein of something that you love. It's like I feel like we have so much in common: writing, horses, and the love of music. So I'm I'm already a big fan. But I, you know, thank you so much for the gift of your time today, Don. I have so enjoyed getting to know you. Would you share uh, with listeners where they can find you in your books? Oh, sure. You can find me on on the website www.donlafever.com. I'm on Twitter at Dawn L. Author. I have an author page on Facebook. Okay. I, and I will make sure to link to all those places in the show notes so people can get directly to you. But I just, you know, for those listening who may be driving and not in front of a computer, I want them to be able to know where you are and where they can find you. And I wish you so much continued success in your writing. And, and I really enjoy getting to know you today and, and talking to you and learning about more about you and your books. So thank you for the gift of your time, Dawn. Thank you for having me, Carly. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. 
Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.